Here we go, another week on the From the Booth podcast. Plenty of stuff to unpack on this week's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. My name is Cody Clark. My co-host, as always, is Evan Eichen. And Evan, we have quite a bit to get to this week. Uh, drama in the NBA, week uh, week five NFL storylines, preview some of the games coming up, college football action, a very interesting story uh, coming out of college sports that you're going to want to tune into uh, and find out what that is at the end of the episode. So a lot to unpack here. We will start with the NBA and Evan, a tweet from the Houston Rockets general manager, Daryl Morey, set the NBA world on fire. If for somehow you missed it, and the tweet has since been deleted, but Daryl Morey tweeted an image. It said, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Uh, if A quick recap, I guess, on the Hong Kong situation. I was doing a little bit of research. I'm not a you know political person. I'm not somebody who understands the full realm of what's going on, but I tried to at least be, uh, tried to, to get in there and, and figure out exactly kind of the root of, of these things. So uh, protests in Hong Kong started back in June, uh, against proposals that would allow extradition to the mainland, uh, of China for criminals. Hong Kong is a a former British colony. Uh, it's a semi-autonomous region uh, people thought that the extraditions could undermine the city's uh, judicial system. Uh, they thought it might risk uh, exposing people from Hong Kong to unfair trials or violent treatment. Uh, people argued that it would give China even greater influence over Hong Kong. So there have been increasingly more violent uh, pro- uh, protests uh, police have used tear gas. Activists have stormed government areas. It's really a uh, a very tense situation. And Daryl Morey's tweet, "Fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong," Evan, really set the NBA world on fire. It it appears so. Uh, there's a story from CNBC that nearly all of the NBA's Chinese partners have either suspended or severed ties altogether. Their relationship was their relationships with the league. Uh, sp- Anto Sports, the shoe company, uh, which uh, you might remember some Houston Rockets players like Aaron Brooks and Shane Battier had shoe contracts with Anta. They have suspended their operations with the league. Other Chinese, uh, other Chinese uh, businesses such as E E High Car Rental, Migu Video, uh, Master Kong, uh, Wuzon. Uh, I hope I am pronouncing these right. Have all either suspended or ended their op their partnerships with the NBA. There are only two remaining Chinese partners that are still affiliated with the league, but they are joint venture brands that have yet to official that have yet to make an official statement. Uh, when it happened, Tillman Fertitta, the owner of the Rockets was very quick to come out and say, you know, the views expressed by Daryl Morey are not the, are not those expressed by the Houston Rockets organization, which I understand why he did it, but who would have thought this would have been a, a bigger mess than than we could have thought of? There was an there was supposed to be NBA Cares events with the Brooklyn Nets and LA Lakers. Those have both been canceled. There, the Lakers were supposed to have media availability that has been postponed. Adam Silver is 
facing his first major test as a commissioner, and I don't know how he's going to navigate. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be uh, going to be an interesting process. Uh, the Chinese Basketball Association suspended its relationship. Uh, it, just to kind of build off what you were saying, they canceled G League games between the Rockets uh, G League affiliate, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, uh, and the Texas Legends. The Chinese Central Television and uh, Tencent Sports, which is a live streaming platform, they're not airing Rockets games. Uh, and Tencent and the NBA back in June signed a $500 million deal, and reports say that 500 million Chinese viewers. Uh, watch NBA game or watched NBA games on Tencent last season. So that is a big uh, money maker and a big relationship builder that is not going to be airing Rockets games. And Evan, this outrage uh, with the protests going on in Hong Kong and Daryl Morey's tweet, you know, you've had senators and presidential candidates uh, reach out. You've had Beto O'Rourke, who's running for president. You had uh, Marco Rubio, the Florida senator. Ted Cruz, the Texas senator. Uh, Chuck Schumer, who's the Senate minority leader. I mean, there are a lot of people weighing in on their su- their support for the protests in Hong Kong and against the NBA's seemingly not wanting to upset the apple cart Adam Silver coming out and saying, look, we support Daryl and his right to uh, expression, but we obviously don't want to offend our friends in China where we make a lot of money. It's a, it's a delicate balance. Uh, I know that they are comparing this a little bit to, this is his first real test since the Donald Sterling thing. But Cody, in retrospect, the Donald Sterling thing was not, really a test they didn't get rid of donald sterling out of some altruistic duty to stop racism this was a guy among nba circles that was universally despised they saw an opportunity to get him out and they took it like that that was the only move they could have made with donald sterling i don't know how they make this work because it sounds like from the chinese end anything less than total condemnation and removal of Daryl Morey is going to make them happy because it says, well, we, well, we support the employee's right to free speech. China is not here for your free speech and never has been. Remember, we've only been talking, the U S and China have only had a relationship dating back to the early seventies with uh, Richard Nixon and his famous ping pong diplomacy. Uh, Is there an end in sight? To this, I, I, I mean, don't know. It what sure do you think? seems like Adam Silver and company are just hunkering down and waiting for this thing. You know, the timing couldn't have been any worse. I mean, you've got uh, Oklahoma City, the Lakers, the Nets, all playing preseason games uh, in China in the coming days and weeks. Uh, the 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 statements issued by the NBA those didn't help because you had the statement issued in English and then. It's, they seemingly didn't like that, so they issued a statement in Chinese that was a little bit harsher than the one in English. So I definitely don't envy the position that Adam Silver is in. I was very interested to see LeBron James talk. Uh, that was postponed, as you mentioned, but um, people calling that a Muhammad Ali moment, uh, Muhammad Ali type of moment for LeBron James. 
You had James Harden come out and apologize on behalf of himself and Westbrook saying we love China. Evan, there's just a lot of and and there's believe me, there's a lot of businesses in the United States that have been able to capitalize on a relationship with China and the Chinese market. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are a lot of instances and twists and turns in this story where we've seen the NBA be a very progressive league and the NBA be a league that speaks out on social issues. However, there are parts of this story and ways that cast a light on the fact that it sure looks like the NBA supports those things except for when it might affect the bottom line. You know, you remember they pulled the All-Star game from Charlotte over the transgender bathroom laws that were uh, in North Carolina. You've got uh, coaches and players constantly, uh, constantly going against disapproving, speaking out against President Donald Trump about how they disagree with his politics. Now, we're not here to debate any of that stuff to take any sides there. These are just facts that people have come out and have been against the president, but nobody's apologizing to people for that. Nobody's apologizing for, you know, some of the NBA coaches coming out and saying, you know, we disagree with what's going on. The NBA has always really been a platform and a league for people to do that. But people aren't coming out in support of Hong Kong here. They're coming out in support of hey, we're sorry, we didn't mean to offend people in China. You know, we want to keep, it sure seems like it's, hey, we want to keep these business deals going. We don't want to upset anybody here. It, it, does does it come across that way for you? Because I can't help but think a lot of this is getting twisted to where it's it's coming across like that, at least to me in my eyes. And I've, I've read a lot of uh, things saying similar where the NBA is getting raked over the coals of, you spent the last three years and change ever since the Kaepernick stuff that you, we are the woke league. We are the, we let players speak out and have opinions league. But if the NBA wants to stop its employees from talking politics to protect its relationship with China. Yeah, that's kind of gross, but I get it. But then you should apply it to all politics then. So if if we're going to remain apolitical on China, then I guess somebody's going to have to go tell Greg Popovich, hey, you can't bury Trump every chance you get. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to play overly well. It's I, I don't know how this is going to work out. It sounds like this is one of those situations that's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, I've read some comments on Twitter about like just some random, no, like just some random guys were like, well, if I was Adam Silver, I would tell China to go screw themselves. Like, yeah, go to the second biggest market in the world. Screw you. We don't need your money. Yeah. See yeah, how that that's works. That's not going to go well, but yeah, that's not going to go well, but Oh, it just sounds like, it just sounds like a really complex issue with a lot of layers and I don't know if there's a situation that exists that's going to make everybody no not at all you know a a couple other things on the cancellations you had uh, several Chinese celebrities uh, back out and corporate sponsors back out of appearances and commitments 
watching how this one unfolds is going to be very interesting because like I said, I mean, you've, you've had, you've had political people and presidential candidates weigh in on this whole deal. So this is not just something that is, you know, from the NBA perspective, this is something that has taken, you know, on even larger, uh, you know, a, a realm that's even larger than that in terms of the U S versus China relationship and business dealings and all of the sorts of economic impacts and those sorts of things. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. I'm interested to see if LeBron uh, does end up talking. Uh, We know that he is a guy who has been really at the forefront of a lot of these uh, social justice issues and movements in the NBA. He's a guy that speaks out. Uh, He's a guy that has a lot of influence. I mean, I, I think you saw that in the, uh, NCAA with the fair pay to play stuff. I mean, his influence is definitely felt when he speaks on something. He has a, a tremendous amount of people following him and listening to what he says. So I think it's a big, big moment if and when he does talk. That was supposed to be earlier this morning. It was uh, postponed. Uh, Dave McMenamin had that on Twitter. He had tweeted that uh, they were going to speak and then followed that up with the NBA has postponed that event. So we will see if they talk. Uh, that's going to be an interesting moment. Uh, Adam Silver, you know, he supported Daryl Morey for being able to come out and say what he wants, but uh, obviously, you know, regretted that they uh, regretted that they offended people in China and, and, and uh, all of that. So going to be an interesting situation to see play out. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be interesting to see if these preseason uh, games are played. Uh, There's been talk that those might be in jeopardy. Uh, We mentioned the big-time streaming deals and money changing hands between the NBA and China in terms of airing NBA games. Uh, Tencent Sports is the live streaming platform. They will not air Rockets games. So this is going to be a very fluid situation and one that uh, I am very interested to see how it plays out. And it's something that is not going to be wrapped up here in the next week. I I think you're going to see this continue to persist, uh, continue to persist on, and it's going to be something that's interesting to watch. Evan, we will transition to college football, and the big game of the weekend was Florida versus Auburn. You had number seven Auburn versus number ten Florida. Uh, the Gators come out with a twenty-four to thirteen win. Florida moves up to number seven in the poll. Uh, Auburn falls to number ten. That was a crazy game. I'll just start by saying that. And I'll also start by saying that after my impassioned argument for why. Auburn should be in the top five (laughs) and then they came out and lost. Uh, This is me just sort of taking my lumps and uh, acknowledging that I was wrong. I thought that they'd averaged. I mean, I thought that they had earned it on the basis of beating two ranked teams, averaging 200 plus yards rushing a game. And they just went into Gainesville and uh, laid an egg. It, It just, these things Bo, happen. Bo Nix looked have, like a freshman again. Yeah. He he hadn't since uh, since week one when he threw a 
uh, a couple of interceptions against Oregon, but then kind of burst onto the scene, leading Auburn back in that game with the late drive. He had a couple of inexperienced mistakes. He was just 11 of 27, uh, 145 yards, one touchdown. He threw three interceptions. That Florida defense uh, up front got plenty of pressure on him, forced him out of the pocket. And that defensive secondary, one of the best in the country this year, Florida has shown that. And they, you know, just forced him into a couple of mistakes. There were a couple of throws. He had a nice, a really nice touchdown throw, but there was a, a, an interception in the end zone where it was zone coverage and he didn't see the safety that was lurking. There was another one, uh, another interception thrown where, again, he didn't see, uh, I think, one of the outside linebackers underneath in zone coverage. So a couple of, of rookie-type reads for Bo Nix and Auburn. It was a really choppy game. I mean, it was neither team could run away from each other. They were a stretch there where Auburn turned it over, Florida gave it back, Auburn turned it over, Florida gave it back. Nobody really wanted to take control of the game until uh, late in the contest. Uh, Michael P. Ryan had that uh, 88-yard touchdown run. He finished with 14 carries for a buck 30 and one touchdown. But this was just kind of like a slog-it-out game. I mean, if you take out that large run by Pirine, you take out a couple of plays. Uh, you had Freddie Swain take one to the house early on, but you take out that big play from Florida. I mean, this was really a, a, a sloppy, hard-fought game in the trenches on both sides, and the Gators uh, the Gators proved themselves to be a, a formidable opponent with the, uh, with the win. Well, we have two separate perspectives of this game. You were at the stadium on Saturday. Yes, I was. And I was greeted to the warm, soothing tones of Brad Nessler and CBS. Uh, there was a point in that game where Kyle Trask got rolled up on and went down that from my watching at home sounded like the entire stadium went silent. Would that be a, a fair assessment? Pretty much, yes. That is accurate. And it also sounded like the place erupted when he came out of the tunnel after he went into the locker room. That is, that is a fair also assessment? fair. That, the swamp was – there were 90,000-plus in attendance for the game, and everyone was, was showing out for this top 10 uh, – this battle between top 10 teams. When Freddie Swain housed uh, – one of the first plays for Florida, uh, place went crazy. When P. Ryan bounces that run to the outside, all of a sudden everyone realized he was going to uh, he was going to take it all the way. It got crazy, but yeah, the the stadium got loud when Trask came came back in, and for good reason. Look, I mean, the guy who came in was Emory Jones, the the third string quarterback. He was five for seven for twenty eight yards. He made a couple of nice throws on a couple of drives. But I mean, Kyle Trask is the is no question the best chance for this Florida Gators team to be able to contend. He was 19 of 31, 234, a couple of touchdowns. He did not throw a pick. Uh, he, he couple of balls high. It wasn't his sharpest game, but I think definitely uh, a sigh of relief for people when he was able to come back into the game after you mentioned he got rolled up on and had to leave the game. Uh, Emory Jones had a couple of nice drives, but definitely Trask is the guy you want at the helm there for the Gators and it was it was it was a a gut check win for the Gators and I think proved to a lot of people that they do belong because you know I was one of the I was somebody that was 
you know, questioning quite where Florida belonged. You know, I thought the defense was good enough, but I wasn't, you know, wasn't exactly sold on the offense. They do have uh, quite a few weapons, but, you know, with Trask, he is the backup quarterback, but he's growing into that role. And you saw the defense against a very good Auburn team be able to shut down the Tigers and be able to take over that game. And for the Gators to beat another set of Tigers this weekend against LSU, that defense is going to have to have a very similar performance. So a couple of back-to-back tough games against Tigers for the Florida Gators. But that was uh, it was a good win for Florida. Uh, they moved to 6-0. and They move up to number 7. Auburn falls to number 10. You know, Evan, you were talking about, you know, taking your taking your lumps there. Bo Nix, he was under a lot of pressure and he made some mistakes, but there were still, as there are every game, a handful of plays that make you say, man, this kid's going to be really good. Uh, uh, the times where he didn't look like a 19-year-old out there were other times where it's like, yep, that's why I, that's why I said that they were going to be a top five team or they should have been a top five team. But so I just have a couple more questions on just you being at the stadium is that when, when the Kyle Trask went down, uh, they were showing the graphic of this guy hasn't started. And here's why he had a knee injury this year and then he got hurt again. And now he's finally getting his chance to play. And then he gets hurt. And then they ran through his whole history. Um, were people in the stadium aware of Trask's history with being able to stay healthy, being unable to stay healthy? It's like, oh, this is he's finally getting his chance and it looks like it's over. Oh, yeah. I mean, you definitely have people, you know, as Gator fans, perfectly aware of what Trask has been through and to be able to get his chance now with the injury ahead of him, Felipe Franks uh, and his uh, ankle injury and what happened with him, you know, Trask having been through a lot of similar things in terms of injury history, this is his chance when Franks goes down to step up and he's done a nice job. So, you know, he goes down and the stadium's like, oh my goodness, we're not going to do this again, are we? Uh, and just that, don't know, you know, is he is he okay? I hope he's going to be okay. You know, he deserves this this chance and he's done a nice job in that stretch. And so you're just sitting there going, Oh boy, I hope it's nothing serious because one, we've already lost the quarterback to something serious. And two, you know, you want him to be able to prove uh, and get his chance and show that he can fill in and take the Gators to uh to a to a high ranking. And the last question involves from your stadium experience. How much of a nightmare was it getting out of that parking lot? Oh yeah, you know, getting out of the parking lot is is uh, always interesting. We w- we parked about a mi- just over a mile away from the stadium when we were tailgating and everything, so we had a mile walk back after the game. So you know that kind of helps in terms of some of the traffic thins out. You know, but obviously that's that's something that you know you just kind of you fire up the car and you pull out into the traffic lane and you just kind of sit and wait for uh, to be able to get off campus there. But it was a crazy atmosphere. Florida grabbed a big win over Auburn. They moved to number seven in the polls. And a big test for the Gators now against the LSU Tigers this weekend. That is the primetime 8 p.m. game, the Florida Gators at 
LSU in Death Valley. That place is going to be rocking as well. College game day is there, so the Gators get college game day a couple of times, once for them hosting Auburn and then once for them visiting LSU. And, Evan, I think that's a big game. That's a that's a test for both of these teams because LSU's schedule has been pretty light. Joe Burrow has not faced a defense, especially a secondary, like the Gators to this point. He's got a real chance to assert himself in the Heisman race if he can come up with a good performance against Florida this weekend. And I think that he might. I mean, Joe Burrow already has, I believe, 22 touchdowns this year, and he is he's really close to breaking the LSU touchdown record, and we're <laughs> yeah. not even halfway through yeah, the season. Wild. The LSU record for the LSU record for passing touchdowns in a single season is 28 by it's Jamarcus Russell, uh, isn't it? It's tied between Jamarcus Russell in 2006 and Matt Mock did it in 2003. He has 22. He has 22 right now. He's already broken the single game record for touchdown passes in a game. He threw six of them against Vandy. Uh, I don't think he's, he, he's probably not going to catch the career touchdown record because he's got 38 and Tommy Hudson has that record at 69. Uh, yeah, probably not going to get the there. Season passing record. Well, the career passing record, Tommy Hudson, 9,115 yards. He's not going to get that. He's at 4,700 right now. Uh, he's, well within striking distance of breaking the single-season record. The single-season passing record, in 2001, Rohan Davey had 3,347 yards. He has 2,894 right now, so he's he's going to shatter that. I mean, looking at these passing records, you would think with a program that's been consistently on top as LSU, that some of these single-season packing records are a bit jarring to me, like, we mean only two people have had more than 25 touchdown passes in a season. No one's thrown for more than 3,400 yards. I mean, it's a bit surprising when you look at all-time records for LSU. I think so, yeah. But then you also factor in kind of how LSU usually hangs his hat defensively and always tough up front and in the running game. And this is really one of the first times we've really seen – I mean, you've had, as you mentioned, some of those names in the past – but Joe Burrow coming out of the gate here, I mean, this is you've got a very dynamic passer. And this LSU team with you know the the, the coaches that they've brought in in terms of passing game coordinators and those sorts of things, I mean, this is a team that can air it out. And this is a, a pass-first football team, and that's not something that we've seen from LSU in the past. It's been run-first. And with Joe Burrow, he, he's been airing it out. And you pointed to the numbers. He's going to shatter the single-season passing record. He's going to have the single-season LSU touchdown record. He'll probably get that in the next three weeks. So he'll probably set that after eight or nine games. Uh, they've proven very dangerous. But now it's, it's a chance to prove themselves against a very quality defense and a quality opponent and uh, a win that they need to have Uh in order to kind of assert themselves because we think they're pretty good. We know they're pretty good, but they really haven't played anybody. Evan, a few of the other games, you have Penn State at Iowa, Alabama at Texas A&M, Oklahoma at Texas. Those are all the games between ranked teams this weekend. Uh, which of those three outside of Florida LSU are you kind of looking at as, as something to keep an eye on? Well, it's got to be Oklahoma-Texas, right? 
the Red River game. It's one of the it's one of the biggest games of the year. Uh, Jalen Hurts and Sam Ellinger are going to go head to head. I mean, the, the way these offenses are playing, it's probably like first team to sixty wins. Uh, is that is that your pick too? Between the uh, between the Red River game, that that's always seems like a big game, even when Texas wasn't at the level Texas at least we think should be. No, I'm uh, I'm right there with you. I think Alabama in Texas A&M is going to be a tough game. Bama's got too many weapons there. Penn State at Iowa, uh, that one is an interesting one for me. I, I, I really like Penn State and what they're doing. They're ranked number 10, Iowa at 17. But, yeah, Oklahoma at Texas, I mean, this is uh, the first real big uh, early season test for Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma. As you mentioned, both of these teams can put up points. Texas ranked number 11. Uh, this is a big, big spot for both of these teams, particularly for Oklahoma because they, you know, I, I think it's, and we go through this every year with Oklahoma, but, you know, you know, they put up the offensive numbers. They usually struggle on defense. They have weapons on defense and they've kind of been able to show that with some of their guys rushing the passer when they get some of these big leads. But traditionally, that you know the the strong suit has been on the offensive side of the football with Lincoln Riley and the Oklahoma Sooners. Jalen Hurts is in this year. He's proving that the Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray numbers are no fluke. Jalen Hurts is coming in and doing the same stuff. At noon, uh, this is going to be a, a very big game, and it's a really big game for Oklahoma in terms of college football playoff implications because they need that type of win on their resume at this point in the season. And speaking of a team that needed that type of win on their resume, how about Ohio State beating up number 25 Michigan State? Justin Fields looks like he he, he can't come out after this year, can he? Uh, no, I don't believe he can. He is... No, he cannot come out in the draft. I think he would need one more year. Although, no, he didn't sit out. So he played – I think it's one more year. I need to look that up. I'm looking it up right now. Okay, well, let's just assume that he can't come out after this year. Uh, yeah, he can't after start, this year. We sort of anointed Trevor Lawrence as the number one pick in 2021. With the way Justin Fields is playing, are we sure that Lawrence is still the lock number one pick? Yeah, maybe 17 of 25 for Fields, 206, couple of touchdowns. He did throw one pick. Uh, he had 11 carries for 61 yards and a touchdown. He's really dynamic back there, and he is a weapon for Ohio State in the pocket and outside of the pocket. And it's not like they, you know, they don't. It's not like they need. Uh, they need any more. They've got weapons everywhere in terms of J.K. Dobbins, in terms of fields, in terms of wide receivers. So they handled Michigan State, and Michigan State's a good defensive team. And you blinked, and they uh, Ohio State was up a couple of touchdowns. So I think they definitely asserted themselves as uh, one of the teams to beat. They're definitely going to be in that playoff consideration uh, when it comes down to it, there's a lot of teams that obviously there's going to be some separation as we continue to play out. But you you talk about it. Justin Fields and Ohio State are a team that you really need to pay attention to because they are doing some big things uh, offensively. They're doing some great things off the edge defensively, and they are a force to be reckoned with there in the Big Ten. 
And they also have Chase Young, who is one of the better young pass rushers, maybe the best young pass rusher in in the NCAA right now. He's He's got to be a lock for a top five, top ten pick. He sure seems like it. He is great off the edge. He's really good with his hands. That's something that impressed me when watching him. Just his ability to shed blockers, use his quickness, and use his hands to get around people. Uh, that was uh, that was a very very. That's something that was fun to watch for me because you had you saw uh, Nick Bosa for Ohio State before he kind of shut it down and prepared for the NFL draft. It sure does look like the. Ohio State Buckeyes have another one of those type of guys uh, in terms of Chase Young, so going to be very, very interesting to see that. A a Friday night game, an interesting one to watch for me, is Virginia and Miami. I watched Virginia against Notre Dame a couple of weeks ago. They put up a a good fight. They are a a pretty good team, but outside of that, uh, you're looking at some of those, those ranked games, particularly on Saturday, Oklahoma, Texas, Penn State, Iowa, Alabama, Texas A&M, and then Florida LSU as some of the games that have uh, major implications on some of these teams trying to keep it rolling and trying to add to their resume as we continue to push along in the college football season. Let's stay with football. Let's slide to the NFL. And Evan, I think the biggest story we've got here is obviously with the Washington Redskins. Jay Gruden was fired as the head coach of the Washington Redskins. He was fired at 5.30 a.m. Monday morning. That's got to hurt. If I got that call at 5.30, I'd be like, dang, guys, you can't even let me sleep in at least. It's like when work calls you to show up before the before work opens, you, 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 you kind of <laughs> know what the deal is. No, nobody's gotten the call from work saying, hey, can you come in before we open? And they're like, okay, yeah, we're good. Like it just kind of seemed – uh, Jay Gruden over the last couple weeks just seemed to kind of know that his time was up. And the reports that have come out since then, and, you know, I'm doing the only thing I can do with those reports, and that's taking them at face value. It seems to have a story of organizational mistrust between him and Bruce Allen about how Bruce wanted to do one thing, Jay wanted to do another, but then Dan Snyder would always side with Bruce. And then there was a story where he, where Gruden was allegedly overruled in the draft over wanting, over drafting Dwayne Haskins, that he didn't want Haskins. It, it just seemed like a real messy, unhealthy relationship for all involved. And, uh, my thoughts on like the the Mike Tomlin want like the Redskins want Mike Tomlin story is complete nonsense, because Cody, if you were in Mike Tomlin's ear, why would you leave the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are the definition of stability? They've had three coaches in fifty years, fifty years, and the and the three coaches they've had in fifty years, they didn't get fired. They either retired. They they left in their own terms. They retired. So you've been at that job for. 13, 14 years now, and you're going to go leave that stable organization to go to Washington. I just found that story to just be, to just be BS. Like why would, why would Mike Tomlin sign up for that? Well, and you saw Mike Tomlin do the right thing and shut it down in terms of, he was like, Hey guys, look, I've got a, I've got a one in four football team to worry about. I'm the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
I'm not even entertaining these questions right now. But, you know, I don't know. For me, it's newsflash to the guys upstairs because this is not on the coaches. I mean, if in, in my opinion, if you look at the history of the front office in Washington, especially since Dan Snyder took over in 1999, and something that summed this up perfectly was Redskins team president Bruce Allen. He came out and said he defended the Redskins saying our culture is actually damn good. Oh, is it? Because as Evan just pointed out, there was discord in terms of drafting Dwayne Haskins. There was discord in terms of who Jay Gruden wanted to bring in. Uh, Front office didn't necessarily agree when you're talking free agents. You're talking about a front office that has put a bad football team out on the field, especially this year. And Jay Gruden was, he was, he's 0-5 to this point this year, but he was, I think, 35-49-1. He was 7-9, 7-9, both of the last couple of seasons. But this is not a good team right now. They're seventh, uh, third worst in scoring, bottom seven in passing and rushing. I don't necessarily know what they expected out of this team. I mean, maybe if you have Trent Williams, maybe that's different. But Darius Geis got hurt, your running back that you drafted. You have Adrian Peterson at running back. Your best wide receiver is Terry McLaurin, who's a really nice young weapon, but he's pretty much all they have out wide. This is just not a good football team right now, and this front office has a history with coaches. I was looking back at uh, the Redskins coaches since Dan Snyder bought the team. Norv Turner was fired... In, two, in the 2000 season, that was with a winning record, albeit 7-6, and six, but he was fired with a winning record. Jay Gruden is the most successful coach he's had. Jay Gruden is the most successful coach he had. Terry Robisky finished that season, They didn't br- uh, the 2000 season. They didn't bring him back. They hired Marty Schottenheimer in 2001 after he was an ESPN analyst. He lost his first five. Then he went 8-3 and three in his last 11. Then he got canned. Uh, he gave Steve Spurrier a five-year, $25 million contract from Florida. That was the biggest contract to that point uh, for an NFL head coach. Spurrier resigned. Joe Gibbs comes back for his second stint with the Redskins. He retired. Jim Zorn was 12-20 and in two years. He got fired. Shanahan, four years. He got fired. Jay Gruden, this was uh, an 0-5 start for him but the most wins and the longest tenure under Dan Snyder, and he got fired. So I just don't know where, like, where are they going? Like, I I just, for Bruce Allen to come out and say that our culture is good, no, it's not. You've got turmoil and discord and disagreement in terms of what your coach wants to do and what you want to do, so you can't even get on the same page with that. You're not performing well on the football field. You had New England Patriots fans outnumber your fans in the stands this past week. This is just a mess in Washington. And also, uh, someone asked him, well, why isn't Dan Snyder talking? And his response is, well, because I'm talking. <laughs> Dan, Snyder, Dan Snyder doesn't need to talk. Uh, he he kind of does. But Dan Snyder is kind of becoming like the James Dolan of the NFL in the sense of this is an owner that is universally despised. Like, you know, most owners are like, well, you know, if you really get to know the guy, it's not so bad. 
No, we haven't heard anybody offer a defensive Dan Snyder, except for Bruce Allen, who appears to have like John Elway level job security. Like it sounds <laughs> yeah. like like who in who the hell in Denver is going to tell John Elway we got to let you go? Like Bruce Allen, it sounds like is never getting fired. No, in, it doesn't, and he thinks it in because Washington. if he thinks the culture is good, I, I just I, I I can't help him there because. It sure seems like from all the reports, it is uh, it is not quite good. So Washington, uh, Washington fires Jay Gruden. He is out uh, in the tank for two a game of the week, though. Evan, Miami or Washington, someone's going to get their first win. So there's that. Or or weird pitch, they tie. Oh my goodness! Just, Don't just do like, it. Just like the Lions, just like the Lions and Cardinals, and both teams have finished the year 0-15 and one. That game should tie like 13 to 13 or 10 to 10, just something brutal. If that plays out as a tie. Oh no. Uh, no, it, I mean, it, I'm confident. I'm very confident that that game is going to be decided with a win and a loss. I'm calling it now. There's not going to be a tie. Somebody's coming out of there with a win. It's not a super bold statement, but it just can't happen. They can't tie. I, I, I won't be able to take it. Well, Dan Snyder is a lot like James Dolan in the sense of what he'll do is like, well, who's the biggest name out there? Okay, give him all the cash. Like, even as it happened, I'm I was I'm old enough to remember when they hired Steve Spurrier. And even as it happened, people were like, What the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you hiring Steve Spurrier? Like, this is a this is a stupid idea. That's why they got Josh Norman. Uh, the Redskins have done what everybody does in Madden which is we're just going to find the biggest names, throw them all the money, and it's going to work out. But it just – you just kind of feel like uh, all signs are pointing to the owner, but I don't want to say that, well, the second he sells the team, everything's going to be great. But, you know, it kind of feels a lot like James Dolan with the Knicks, but at least he hasn't, like, kicked out a reporter for saying sell the team. At, at FedEx Field, because this whole season has just been this a, a nightmare. Trent Williams, your best offensive lineman, is holding out, and you are refusing to trade him when he's made it obvious he's never playing for you again. Jordan Reed has had multiple concussions. Uh, he had a concussion in the preseason, hasn't played since, might, might, might not play at all this year. Alex Smith had a brutal, devastating leg injury. His career is probably over. It's just anything that could have gone wrong in Washington over the last nine months has. And who is going to want ah, that job? That's a good question. I, I... Who with options is going to want that job? Because it sounds like the only head coach is going to take that job is, well, they were the only place that was ever going to give him a head coaching job. Well, yeah, Bill Callahan the uh, is the interim head coach. Maybe if he performs well, he he signs a you know a couple year contract and they keep him if he's able to if he's able to kind of turn things around. Who knows? But uh, we'll watch we'll watch and see how it plays out in Washington. They play Miami this weekend. Presumably, someone is going to get their first win of the season, and uh, in the tank for Tua game, that's a bad thing. You almost want to lose that game. You don't want to go up a game on one of those teams because they both could run the table. They're both not playing well and they could both go 
you know, 0 and 16, but someone's going to win. Maybe, maybe they, maybe they, uh, maybe they agree to, you know, a, a tie game sort of thing. You know, it's 13 to 13. You know, you you kind of ease up, I'll ease up, and we can just, you know, kind of let it play out as a coin flip at the end of the season. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? But uh, here's what we do know: there are two undefeated teams left in the NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs lost to the Indianapolis Colts, which knocked them from the, from the ranks of the undefeated. And then my second impassioned statement was to please give us a watchable Monday night game. <laughs> no, that was that not was that not at all. Mo- that was not that. Um, the, the, the Cleveland Browns had 34 yards of total offense in the second half. They lost the game 31 to three, but it should have been 40 something to three. If Robbie gold makes those kicks and Dante Pettis doesn't drop a touchdown that hits him right in the hands. It's, it was an embarrassing showing for the Cleveland Browns, Cody. So we've, the Cleveland Browns have had two primetime games against them and the LA Rams and both times have looked bad. They've looked overwhelmed and overmatched. No, they absolutely have. The 49ers are for real. Now whether that means they can, you know, challenge in that division, you've got the Rams, you've got the Seahawks, they've got a big game coming up against the Rams and as the season plays out we'll be able to tell. But that team is for real in terms of the defense is legitimate. You know, they they didn't get interceptions last year. They only had two. That's kind of an anomaly. They're back to turning people over, especially intercepting the football. Jimmy Garoppolo does just enough. He was 20 of 29, uh, 182, couple of touchdowns. He didn't really need to air it out because they were up. They had almost 300 rushing yards as a team. Uh, Coleman went 16 for 97 and a touchdown. Breida went 11 for 114 and a touchdown. You know, that defensive front with all those first-round picks that they've spent on the guys up front, Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, Arik Armstead, D. Ford, those guys really got after the quarterback, and I thought that's where it started. You know, John Lynch, he wanted that unit to step up this year and kind of show the NFL that, hey, you know, we've got all of these guys, we've drafted them, we've we've crafted this defensive front that can get pressure with four guys and Evan what is so important in the National Football League we saw the Giants do it in Super Bowls against Tom Brady when you can get pressure with four guys and be able to drop seven in coverage that is a major major advantage and it looks like the 49ers now Cleveland's offensive line is obviously not the tops in the league but the 49ers are able to get pressure off the edge and up the middle and that had Baker Mayfield dancing all night. And for me, that's something that, like I said, the 49ers are a real team at 4-0. and They had to sit through the bye week and hear everyone question whether they were for real. Now, whether they can turn that into a playoff spot uh, and contend, you know, that'll be tough in that division. Those teams will battle it out with each other, Seattle, San Francisco, uh, and the Rams. You also have Arizona in that division. But this is definitely a team that is for real in terms of they are very strong defensively. I think Jimmy Garoppolo does just enough, and they have just enough weapons where I can see them challenging Seattle and the Rams in that division. As of right now, the Rams are in third place in the NFC West. They'd be out of the playoffs. They're in third place in the NFC West, and they are 
the defending NFC champions. That game was it, it was bad for Cleveland. You know what? It's not your night when on the first play of when <laughs> yeah. when, the, when on the first play for San Francisco they go 83 yards for a touchdown, and then your first play after that you throw an interception. But what Cody? What's been the scouting report on Baker? He's a one-read quarterback, and he always, always, always rolls to his le- rolls to his right. So if you get him out of the pocket, he's always going to go right. So they overload the right side. He's had 22 interceptions in 19 games. He has a higher turnover percentage than Jameis Winston. Wow, I didn't. I knew it was high. I didn't realize it was higher than famous Jameis. He he has a higher turnover percentage than Jameis Winston. He's had 22 interceptions in 19 games. You wonder. If, okay, well, there's no wondering. It's kind of clear through five games that we, and I'm partially guilty of this, we crowned the Cleveland Browns after they hadn't really done anything. They just got Odell, which, by the way, Odell Beckham, his targets have dropped every single game he's played. He was only targeted six times uh, on, on Monday night. But how about, how about, uh, Green, how about Green Bay holding on to beating Dallas last week? Yeah, that was a huge statement win. I was I was going there next. Green Bay with a 34-24 win over Dallas. And, Evan, that game was not as close as that final score. Green Bay absolutely took it to them, especially on the ground. Aaron Jones, 19 carries, 107 yards, and four touchdowns. Dak Prescott threw three picks. And Green Bay has the defense, Evan. That defense is really, really solid. They've got to clean up the rush defense, but Jair Alexander is legit at cornerback, and he gave Dak Prescott fits. They were good against uh, a Cowboys team that has a lot of weapons. That was a really, really big win for the Green Bay Packers, especially because they were without their number one wide receiver in Devontae Adams. I'm going to call like a little cause for concern kind of like if we were to go on like the the cold level i'd be like at a cold yellow just kind of mild concern because over the last 17 and a half minutes of that game they were outscored 21 to 3 it was 31 to 3 with three minutes left in the third quarter and then dallas came back and made that game a lot closer than it should have been are if you're a, a packers fan and that and you enjoy that you finally have a defense in a running game because Aaron Jones ran for four touchdowns. You didn't need Aaron Rodgers to look like Aaron Rodgers to win that game. Does the fact that you gave up 21 points in 17 minutes concern you? No, it doesn't concern me because they had, they were running the football. They weren't taking shots down the field. It's something where they got conservative on offense for obvious reasons. And so you lose your momentum and it's really tough to then crank that back up when you've kind of throttled it down. You know, we're going to hand the ball off, run some clock. We're up four touchdowns. When that other team starts coming back, it can be tough, especially offensively to get back in your rhythm and kind of throttle that back up. So no, I'm not as concerned with that. And look, Dallas has a lot of weapons. Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott, um, Gallup, Randall Cobb. I mean, there's a lot of guys. So that doesn't, that's not something that concerns me if I'm a Packers fan. Maybe I would like to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of uh, keeping your foot on the gas and, and keeping them at bay, but that's just kind of what happens. I don't think that's something that if you're a Packers fan, there's too much cause for concern. But a big statement win for them. That was in Dallas. 
They're able to snag the win, move to 4-1. and one. You talked about it. Aaron Rodgers didn't really have to do much at all. Uh, I think he had like 280, two, 275, 280 yards. Uh, didn't throw a touchdown, didn't throw a pick. Just managed the game and let the running game gash the, the uh, Dallas Cowboys, and that's exactly what happened. He was uh, moving, he was twenty two of thirty four for two hundred thirty eight yards. Yeah, so two thirty. So I even oversold him a little bit. He did just enough, and hey, they didn't need him to do anything crazy, uh, except for you know pick up some first downs and, and and keep the ball in the hands of Aaron Jones. And uh, four touchdowns later, the Green Bay Packers got out of Dallas with a win. Evan, we'll go back to the NFC West and the Seattle Seahawks beating the Rams thirty to twenty nine. After a late missed field goal, Russell Wilson with another masterful performance, 17 of 23, uh, 268 yards, four touchdowns, had eight carries for 32 yards as well. Does he does he deserve some more MVP love? Because I think he does. I'd say so. In terms of I, Russell I'd Wilson. I'd say so. But he, he might win, but I think Christian McCaffrey has something to say about that. Christian, there was there's a stat going around that Christian McCaffrey has more total yards by himself than the entire New York Jets team. Oh, Christian McCaffrey, and he went off again this week against the Jags. Uh, Carolina beat Jacksonville, and he scored an 84-yard touchdown. McCaffrey did for his third touchdown of the day. Pretty sure that's his second 75-yard-plus touchdown in the last three weeks, so he is torching it. They, they, they've done, they did a stat where he's accounted for – almost 40% of all of Carolina's offensive yards. Carolina at this point is a one-man offense. You just stop Christian McCaffrey and then you're fine. But no one's been able to do it. The part of what makes an MVP an MVP is everybody knows this is what you're going to do and we can't stop it. Everybody knows when you play Carolina, Christian McCaffrey's going to get the ball. They can't stop him. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And that's something that for me – with Russell Wilson and with Christian McCaffrey, one of the most impressive things in sports for me, and this is something that when James Harden was on his run last season uh, with his 30-point games and he was carrying the Rockets with a bunch of injuries, I think it's it it's so difficult to for teams to be able to say, hey, this is the guy we have to stop. You are that guy. Christian McCaffrey is the pretty much the only – pretty much the guy – in Carolina. Russell Wilson, you could argue, they do have a, a nice running back in Chris Carson, but Russell Wilson, you could kind of argue some of the same thing. Those two guys are the heart and soul, and if you can if you can shut them down, you can beat both of those teams, but you can't shut them down. Everyone in the building knows they're pretty much the, the number one options, and you still can't slow them down. That's the most impressive thing. Russell Wilson is doing that. Christian McCaffrey is doing that. Russell Wilson's weapons are a seventh-round running back, a first-round running back, a third-round wideout, a second-round wideout, a fourth-round tight end who was a defensive lineman in college, and an undrafted guy in Jerron Brown. Carolina's weapons are Christian McCaffrey and Christian McCaffrey, the running back, and Christian McCaffrey, the wide receiver, and DJ Moore, and that's pretty much it because you're not asking Kyle Allen to go out there and throw it 50 times. You want him to manage the game and get the ball to Christian McCaffrey as much as humanly possible. Christian McCaffrey is the leading rusher in the NFL, 
and he has nearly 300 receiving yards on the year also. And it should be noted that for Russell Wilson, that first-round running back, Rashad Penny, almost never plays. Yeah, he's the backup running back. He's had 22 carries for 98 yards this season. 22 carries, 98 yards, one touchdown. Yeah, he's the backup running back, which is why I think what Russell Wilson is doing, especially this year, the start that he is off to is an MVP caliber start. He works with everybody. And they've never had, you know, really elite, elite weapons out wide for Russell Wilson. And he's leading the league with 12 touchdown passes this year. He hasn't thrown a pick. Uh, He threw 34 TDs last year, 35 the year before that. He's a guy with a nearly three and a half to one career touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, this guy is playing out of his mind for Seattle when we knew, we thought coming into the season that the Rams, again, were going to be able to duplicate a lot of their success they had last year. Seattle and Russell Wilson are coming out and saying, not so fast uh, if we have anything to say about it. Uh, one, one point that I, well, not really a point, more of a question I want to ask you. Uh, the Buffalo Bills beat the Tennessee Titans 14-7 to on Sunday. Have you seen a more uninspired 4-1 team through five games? It's like the Bills are winning, but, you know, there hasn't been, like, a Bills offensive game when you're like, yeah, yeah, th- this team deserves to be 4-1. and It's like they do just enough to win. Yeah, th- it's like they're they're winning in spite of their... They're winning in spite of their offense. You know, Josh Allen turning the ball over. Now he had two touchdowns and one interception this week, but they're they're so good defensively, and they shut you down on defense. We saw this with New England. They made life really tough for New England. I think that game was like 16-10. to They play so well defensively and up front with Tredavious White out wide shutting down your number one wide receiver. They don't ask their offense to do much more than score 14, 16, 17 points. That's pretty much all they need. If their offense can get to that number, they can hold you down as one of the best defenses in the NFL. And yeah, it's almost like they're winning in spite of their offense because Josh Allen frequently turns the ball over. He gives the defense horrible positions in terms of trying to defend, giving the other team good field position. And yet here we are, Buffalo is 4-1, and one, and they sure look like they are going to be right in the thick of the playoff race uh, as the season progresses. You're exactly right. They won that game because Cairo Santos of the Tennessee Titans missed four field goals, and he got released. You know who, you know who they brought in to replace him? Who is that? Mr. Double Doink himself, Cody Parkey. There's been... There's been a lot of there's been a lot of kicking uh, mishaps though we've seen across the NFL. Uh, Vedvek in Minnesota, uh, Vinatieri's been up and down for uh, Indianapolis. Uh, Zerline usually reliable missed that kick at the end of the Rams game. The Rams would have won the game. Vinatieri had to get talked out of retiring. Yeah, pretty much. Allegedly, but like I think the Vedvek thing is like the worst for Minnesota because Minnesota actually traded for it and gave up a draft pick for him. Granted, it was a low draft pick, but a draft pick nonetheless. And then cut him before the season started. The Jets got him for one game, missed a bunch of kicks, and you're like, yeah, this isn't gonna, this isn't going to work. Um, moving on to week six of the NFL, here are some notable matchups. Uh, 3-0 Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater and the New Orleans Saints 
going to Jacksonville to face Minshew Mania himself, Gardner Minshew. Uh, the Giants and the Patriots meet up Thursday night. And then we've got an important game in the NFC West, Cody. The Rams against the 49ers. Do the 49ers stay undefeated, yes or no? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say that they make life really tough for Jared Goff and they are able to do enough offensively. This Rams team we've seen has struggled in recent weeks on defense. Uh, against the Buccaneers, they struggled. Against the Seahawks, they struggled. I'm going to stay with the 49ers. I'm going to stay on that bandwagon and say they come away with a win. I'm inclined to agree with you. The Rams right now if the are in third place in the NFC West, and I don't think anybody saw that one coming. Uh, Sam Darnold is finally healthy against the Dallas Cowboys. The Jets are going to go 0-6, aren't they? Oh, no doubt. I mean, you've got Darnold healthy, but there's no way that they're going to be able to knock off the Cowboys. That's some. That's uh, that's not going to happen, I would say. I mean, you never say never, but you basically say never. The game of the week for me is that 1, is that 1 p.m. Texans at the Chiefs game. Um, Kansas City looking to bounce back after losing to Indianapolis 19-13 to on Sunday night football. Texans coming in having absolutely obliterated the Atlanta Falcons. That's a big that's a big game and one that I am definitely tuning into. That's going to be an interesting game. The Houston Texans put up 50-plus on the Atlanta Falcons, and more importantly, Deshaun Watson was sacked zero times last week. So the trade for Larry Tunsil is starting to pay off. Other games going on uh, this week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers host the Carolina Panthers. Uh, what could be an interesting game is a rematch of the 2017 NFC title game as the Minnesota Vikings against the Philadelphia Eagles. A lot has been made over Kirk Cousins about the comments that Adam Thielen made. Adam Thielen had a, had a bigger game against the Giants. The Philadelphia Eagles are coming off a win against the New York Jets, and they're trying to increase their lead in the NFC East. Uh, who you got in that one? I am going to go with the Eagles. They're coming off a win. Uh, I think they're starting to figure things out. We saw them beat the Packers. Uh, that was a, a big moment on Thursday on a Thursday night for them. I like the Eagles. Uh, they're, I think they're starting to get a little bit more healthy. Now, Minnesota comes off a nice win, and you mentioned it. Cousins kind of bounced back. Thielen bounced back. Minnesota gets the game at home, but I do like Philadelphia in that one. Uh, another one I'm looking at, Evan, is Lions and the Packers. Uh, I think Detroit is a much better team than we realized they were. They were... They're going to take that on Monday night. They are in Green Bay. That's a big moment for the Lions. We'll see if Devontae Adams is able to go for the Packers and they get the Lions at home. But this is a Lions team that has played well to start the season, and that's a game that I'm kind of watching and to see if the Lions can finally maybe knock off Aaron Rodgers because he has really been the arch nemesis of that Detroit football team. Maybe they can make something happen on Monday night and uh, show some people that their start, you know, at 2-1-1, one, and one, they are playing good football early on, and they are not a fluke as well. So that's going to be one I'm interested in watching also. Uh, and maybe uh, we can finally get a watchable Monday night game. Uh, cor correction on the NFC East, the Cowboys and Eagles are tied at 3-2. and two. Philadelphia does not have first place. 
there we go. So both of those teams, and I think you know those are both the teams that when you know you and I picked the division early on. I think you picked the you picked the Eagles to win the division. I picked the Cowboys, and so I had the Eagles as the wild card. You had the Cowboys as the wild card. I think we're both in agreement. I think they both shown that those are two playoff teams in the NFC, uh, and a couple big games coming up for both of those teams. Evan, the last thing that we'll get to here is a story that you had alerted me to, a college sports story. And so I will I will let you uh, set the scene on that as the University of St. Thomas is trying to go Division One after some interesting circumstances in their, uh, in their Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference. So to set the stage here, uh, St. Thomas is a small Division Three school in Minnesota that our Waldorf hockey team routinely plays them in hockey. So there's a bit of a local tie there because I'm familiar with this team because of the Waldorf hockey team. Uh, They were unceremoniously removed from their conference because allegedly the other 12 teams in the conference threatened to disband the conference if St. Thomas played another year, so they were voted off the island, if you will, and now they're trying to make the jump to Division One. They were they were given an invite to join the Summit League pr- pending the approval of an NCAA waiver, but there is one problem with that offer from the Summit League, Cody. What is that? The reason why they were removed from the conference was the football team. The Summit League does not sponsor football you would they would have to go to the gateway conference which is where teams like south dakota state northern iowa or the missouri valley conference excuse me to go play where northern iowa south dakota state so they have been an, so they were given an offer to join the ranks of the fcs version of division one but the problem is the conference that invited them currently does not sponsor football so they're angling to do that in 2021 but i just find that whole story to be absurd that the entire conference threatened to cancel like yeah we're going to shut down the whole conference if we have to play these guys again (laughs) that is wild uh also looks like they're looking uh, exploring the pioneer league for football as well that includes drake butler valparaiso san diego uh they are non-scholarship league for football so that would be uh interesting there but yeah, the Missouri Valley Conference, as you mentioned, allows scholarships. That's North Dakota State, South Dakota, South Dakota State, some of those schools. That's just wild to me that everyone was like, hey, look, we're if you if you don't kick them to the curb, we're done. They've won six. They've met, they've won six conference titles in football since 2010. I mean, I wonder if the, the rest of the SEC is sitting there like, damn, we could have done that. We we could have kicked Alabama out of the SEC. <laughs> Man, it's like damn. We if we done just that? if we just threatened to not play, maybe uh, maybe we could have done that. As as someone who has played at a level similar to St. Thomas, how would that have gone with you if you found out that oh, the entire conference is threatening to shut itself down because of this one team? Because there are a lot of unintended consequences. Because if the entire conference shuts down, 
then everybody's got to find a place to go. That just seems like a rash, ill-advised decision to shut down an entire conference over it. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't like that from the other teams. That's not something that I support, you know, you just because like you know just because Alabama gets all the five star recruits uh, that doesn't mean that you know we shouldn't allow them to play in the SEC like that should, I I totally disagree with that uh, I I don't like that from the other schools in the conference that's that's not something that I support uh it was very interesting as I was reading that uh as I was reading that story just all of those things that have popped out of there that's just it's 2021, uh, so there'll be what two? Uh, they'll have two, I guess, final years in uh, the MIAC conference. Uh, the NCAA passed rules in 2011, saying that you could not go from D3 to D1 without the 12 year without the 12 year process for that which includes a step to Division Two, So I'm very interested to see how the NCAA handles this because that rule in 2011 explicitly says you cannot go from D3 to D1 without going through that process. But St. Thomas is trying to get the waiver to do just that and go from D3 to D1. But yeah, as you mentioned, there's a lot of layers here because uh, you've got the... Summit League, which is scholarship football that you're looking at. You've got the Pioneer League, which is non-scholarship football. You've got uh, the fact that you're not allowed to make that jump and you have to get a waiver for that. So this could be an interesting interesting story to follow. Looks like they would join D1 in 2021. So uh, I don't, yeah, I, I don't support that from the other schools in that conference saying we're going to disband the conference if you don't kick them out, basically. Uh, I, I don't support that, but I support St. Thomas reacting here and wanting to go D1. I like that for them. We'll just see how the, uh, we'll see how the NCAA handles it. There is somewhat of a precedent here because in 2001, Temple was in the Big East for football, and the Big East voted to remove them from the conference. So, but that was more of like a they were routinely finishing last place within the conference sort of deal. Sort of, kind of like if the Big Ten just got together and said, "Look, like Rutgers is making <laughs> us look bad. They got to they got to go." Rutgers. Like that's that's basically what happened to uh, Temple in 2001 that was really the last time a conference has voted to remove a team most of the time it's conferences vote to add teams not not kick them out yeah kicking them out is not something that you uh normally see so a very intriguing situation to watch in college sports to see how that plays out with the university of St. Thomas trying to make the jump to Division One after they were uh, less than five months after being, uh, I guess we'll call it, uh, involuntarily removed from their uh, Division Three conference. So a very intriguing story to follow in the NCAA as it regards to St. Thomas and their attempted jump to Division One. Uh, Evan, I think that's going to do it for us this week on the From the Booth podcast. We thank you guys for tuning in 
to the pod. As always, you can give us a uh, a follow on Twitter at From the Booth Pod. Uh, to listen to the show, you can catch us in ten different places, ten different platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio. You name it, uh, we're pretty much there. If you don't see us on the platform on which you get your podcast, please let us know so that we can try to get it there. But we are on all of the major platforms, so go ahead and give us a follow. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, uh, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Drop us a comment about how you enjoy the show. Uh, That really helps us out. uh, Shout out to the people that have left a comment and who have rated the show five stars already. We appreciate you guys. That definitely helps us out in the rankings on Apple Podcasts, so we appreciate that. But subscribe to the pod. Make sure you get all of our latest episodes. Special thanks to Evan Eichen, as per usual, alongside me co-hosting the show. Uh, Thank you to Tony Huynh for the awesome podcast artwork. We continue to shout him out every week for his help in getting us a logo. Check us out on Twitter at From the Booth Podcast. We will be right back here next week with another episode. As always, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoy a very exciting week of football coming up, and we'll be right back here next week to break it all down here on the From the Booth Podcast. <laughs>